We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice-cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies, perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Twenty minutes a day. Three hundred and sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Pack-A-Day Podcast, your 24-7, 365 place for all things green and gold. My name is Mike Lennon, alongside me, Tyler Grizzagorik, as we join the Every Sunday crew as we wrap up our season review with today, taking care of the special teams, which is going to be quite the interesting breakdown as there's a lot of good, a lot of bad, and some stuff in between under first-year head, uh, first year assistant coach. Sean Manega, but before we jump in, Tyler, how's everything going for you? Uh, it's good. About to start a new job, staying busy. Um, draft guys picking up real quickly here, so um, before you know it, we'll be in full swing draft season if we're not already, and uh, quite frankly, I'm ready for that. Absolutely, it is draft season, XFL season, and but there's still always plenty of time to talk Packer football, and of course, you can always follow all of us on Twitter. Follow Packet A Podcast on Twitter. Follow the podcast itself wherever you can find the podcast. We are there. And just keep track of the Chiefs at TV draft guide and everything that all these guys are working on. But as we jump into these special teams, there is a lot to talk about. From a career year from Mason Crosby to an up-and-down year from J.K. Scott and Hunter Bradley. A good year from the coverage units. And a historically bad turned good year eventually for the return game. And so just kind of getting the gist of it, Tyler, what was your thoughts just as a whole about the special teams this past season? Blah. 
<laughs> it was very average uh, by the time it was all said and done. But, you know, considering what we had to deal with in 2018 and, and that Ron Zook-led unit, um, I'll take it. I'll take average. Um, Mason Crosby had a fantastic season, uh, over 90% accuracy on his kicks. So, you know, that's one bright spot we can definitely point to uh, from the 2019 season. But, you know, considering what this unit was in 2018 and what, what Monega was able to do moving into 2019, I would consider it a success, even though the unit as a whole was only average. Absolutely. And so let's just jump in. Let's talk a little bit about Mason Crosby. Uh, he's one of the big free agents that the Packers got to think about bringing back. I think it's a no-brainer to bring him back for, for a, a solid deal. He's still all-time leading scorer. He hit, like you said, just under 92%, even 22 of 24 on his kicks. And and he was huge. In the game I was at, the Monday night Detroit game, uh, he hit that chip shot field goal to win it, jumping into the stands. And he, he was that consistent leg that you need. And I, I do love the saying, I think it was started by Andrew Brandt, of you never know how good a kicker is until you need one. It's like a good lawyer. And Crosby was a very, very good kicker again this year. Kickoffs were at times kind of hit or miss, but when you needed three points, 22 out of 24 times, he got you those three points. And I, I think that's such an underrated attribute of this team from last year. And without him, they don't win 13 games. No, they certainly don't, and and you know you're exactly right. It's all about trust with Crosby. When 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 Crosby trots out on the field, it's like Rogers. I I just have this feeling of security and 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 confidence in his ability to get the job done. And like you said, ninety one point seven percent of the time he was able to deliver, and that's a pretty pretty good success rate. And considering the the downturn that he had um, leading up to the last couple of seasons. Uh, that one historically bad year a couple of years ago. Um, it's really good to see Crosby get back on track, even though he's what I think he's going to be 35 years old if he's not already. Uh, I think he'll get another contract in Green Bay. I, I was on the boat of not giving him a contract because they were paying him like four million dollars and like oh you can get a kicker anywhere. But I've since changed that mentality. I, I think that they need to pay this man. No, I agree, and it really even goes back to the aftermath of that game in Detroit in 2018, which was the worst game a kicker could possibly have ever since that he has been absolutely locked in and that goes well working another year of working with the operation of J.K. Scott and Hunter Bradley both guys had some up and down moments but having another year with those three in in, uh, unison and working together I think only will help and I know there's some people who who think uh, maybe bringing some competition for Scott or Bradley but I, I do think that you have a punting, kicking, long-stepping trio in place. With it, two of them are young and they're kind of growing. I think you kind of kind of stick with it another year. Yeah, you know, if you have a good thing going, you don't really want to mess it up. You know that that battery has been successful now. Um, you know, forty out of forty-one extra points as well. Combine that with the twenty-two out of twenty-four field goals, and you know that's a it's a very high success rate, and that does not happen easily. You know, so I think if it's if it's not broken, don't fix it. Absolutely, and so turning over to the punting game itself, J.K. Scott, all right numbers, he inconsistent again, 44-yard average, long of 66, which is great, nothing, he did not have a punt blocked this year, uh, 18th in percentage of the 20, 16th in touchbacks, but net average dropped to 28th, which kind of goes to, with J.K. Scott, it would either be a, a booming punt with plenty of hang time, 
or be a line drive that gave a chance for a return. And the big thing for him is getting his mechanics kind of situated a little more consistently and not rushing things because he, he's a guy with, with those long limbs. you got to think about getting the ball off before the pass, the rush gets there. But there's enough games, especially early in the year, where the talent show he can be a top 10 punter in the league. It's just finding that sweet spot. He definitely can. He has the talent to do it. You know, I think even though he didn't have the what we would consider a good year for a punter, I want to preface all of this. We're talking about a punter right now, and that should show you how privileged we are in Green Bay to be criticizing punting. But at the at the same point, I think Scott did improve from 2018 to 2019. It may not look like it on paper, but I, I legitimately believe that he did take a step forward. And I think the next step forward is, is relieving that inconsistency that we're seeing uh, from game to game, punt to punt. You know, no, def- definitely, and I think... When it comes to it, he's going to be a guy who's going to figure it out. He's still, I think, 24. So he's, again, very, very young. And when you have a punter who's 6'6 and he's got the leg he does, that's something you can live with as long as he continues to work out and continues to stay healthy. And, again, he it seems like he's kind of taken two Crosby and Crosby's kind of taken him under his wing. And there, there is kind of that father-son type vibe with those two which makes it kind of funny, but I, I think with Scott in place, the Packers are instead in, of the punting spot, I think, for a while, for the first time, possibly since the 1990s. Yeah. No, I mean, I can't even remember the last good punter in Green Bay, so you may have to you may have to refresh me on that one. But I, I'm Maybe Craig Hedrick. Maybe. <laughs> like, I'm trying to remember, and I'm having a really difficult time doing so, but, you know, I think the biggest reason why I'm still high on Scott and he has the leg. He has the talent. We've talked about that. But he, and I talked about his improvement, and I think the biggest thing he improved on is he he dropped his number of punts that were a touchback from 12.7%, which led the league in 2018. He dropped that number to 5.2 this year, and so that's a pretty that's a pretty significant cut. And so you you would like to see him continue to do so. And I think with some of the inconsistencies. With some of the inconsistencies being relieved and fixed, you're going to see those numbers creep up. And I, I do believe he's a top ten punter in this league. By the time it's all said and done, um, it's all mentality with him, and I, I don't see any problem there. And so I, I firmly believe with with proper guidance, you know, some proper mentorship from Crosby, um, and the more that these guys just get comfortable with each other, Bradley and, and Scott, and Bradley and Crosby, and Crosby and Scott, all all these guys, the more they get comfortable with each other the more they're going to be able to critique each other and just get better and improve. And, you know, it was Menenga's first year. I don't have any confidence that Zook really kind of instilled any really good base in Scott, and that's hard to say because Zook is probably a good football coach. However, he just wasn't a good special teams coach for the Green Bay Packers. Um, I just have a hard time believing that he set up Scott for success. And so Menenga comes in, and we do see market improvement across the board, and we'll get into that in a little bit in terms of special teams. And so I believe, firmly believe that given another year under Manega's wing, um, we're going to see another jump from Scott in 2020. Absolutely. And, and you talk about the 5% of punts only going for a touchback. A lot of that also has to go to the coverage units. And if a lot of people don't talk about them enough because they don't put up the, the big numbers, all you see is special teams tackles, which are in the 10 to 12 range for the best parts of them. But the coverage units were pretty good last year. And, and guys like... Oren Burks, for all the flack he gets for not making it on defense, he has been a good special teamer. Kyler Fackrell's a core four guy. Ty Summers is a core four guy. 
the the Packers have some good core pieces on their special teams unit. Uh, they may have finally caught some gunners, and the units they've shown good lane discipline, things like that. And I think a very underrated part of what's going to make the special teams more consistent under Menanga than we saw under Zook or Slocum, going all the way back, is going to be the just an absolute rock steady play of those coverage guys. And if they do bring back Kyler Fackrell on a cheap deal, he could be he's going to be that that special teams leader for this team that they haven't had since Jared Bush. Do you, do you really resign a guy like that, though? I mean, do you think he gets any interest on the open market that will inflate his value? I, I don't, because I think his, his, his age, I think, hurts him because he's, what, 28 already? He's, he came in older. Uh, he had really one productive year as a pass rusher as far as pure numbers. And I think teams are going to look younger. They're going to look with maybe a higher ceiling. And he's a guy where he'll get maybe a slight raise from what he got now, but nothing that's going to break the bank. And he's got that versatility on defense where he can play inside a little bit. He can play a little more coverage. He can be that hybrid guy. And he can be that fourth uh, fourth outside linebacker and a special teams guy. And I think there's value for those guys, but I don't think it's in the free agent market. Fair enough, fair enough. And the burning question here. It's, let's say the Packers do resign back row and he comes back as a special teams guy and a, a de facto fourth outside linebacker, so your depth guy. Do you consider that pick a success? Yes, absolutely. Uh, I think I, I know it's a top hundred pick, but when when you factor in the average careers, it's still only three years, and we've seen so many high picks in all over the league flame out after that first contract. If you have a guy who who can get you two or three stacks a year, play solid coverage, play consistent, be a huge special teams contributor. He's blocked a couple kicks in his career. I think if he can carve out a long career, that's a successful pick. It's I think I, I think we put too much stock, especially on after round two, on things like that where he's a third-round pick. He's after 90-some other players were taken, he was taken. So I think... He, I think he was a solid pick. I think it, it's worked out. I, I, I would tend to agree. And I think when they took him back in, oh, goodness, I'm going to test my knowledge here, I think 2016, uh, when they took him then, it, it was all upside, you know, because he has the length, he has the athletic ability. You would see it. it he just he, he just gets outmatched sometimes, and that's fine. But for a fourth-round pick, uh, you know, coming into his fourth year, going into his fifth next season, um you know, I, I definitely, I definitely agree with you. If he's able to earn that second contract, I, I think you call that a success. And if, he, if he's able to carve out a role on the team, that's even further success, I think. So, um, I think good on Fackrell because I know that he got a lot of hate the first couple of years, um, just because there were some really, really bad plays. I think that just kind of just put a sour on everything else. But in the long run, I think he's been a solid role player, which you know. At times, he was asked to do more than that, and I think when he was asked to do more than that, that's when he got into trouble. But as a, as a role player, I think he's as solid as they cover right now. Absolutely. When he got drafted, I had I wrote up a breakdown of it for Packers Talk, and I compared him to Connor Barwin. Came in raw, came in needing a lot of strength, very long limbs, so it makes it a little easier to block when you're not you don't have quite that that strength that you need. And it showed early on, but he did, he worked at it. He got better. He was able to use his athletic ability more. And during that time, he made his living on special teams. And until he got those snaps in 2018 as a pass rusher and he produced, 
he he had to make his his hay on special teams, and he showed it. And he he kept himself a roster spot by doing that, by making some blocked punts, by being a solid tackler. And guys like that are incredibly valuable to a locker room and to a, a to a team that needs guys who to save the starters from getting that extra wear and tear. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I, I think I'd like to see him back in 2020. I don't know what kind of deal. They, they'd be able to get him for. Um, I don't think I'm as confident as you are that he won't get bumped up a little bit in free agency. I understand the uh, input that um, the role that he played for Green Bay is not necessarily something you go out and pay for in free agency. However, if there's a team who is paying attention, they might want to bring him in to do similar things for their team. So we'll see um, very early in the, in the entire process to know any of this, but I definitely would like to see Fackrell come back in 2020 in a similar role. Definitely. And if he were to move on that his spot would then be taken, I think, in special teams by Ty Summers. Uh, Summers couldn't sniff the field defensively this year, but he played all four special teams units. He was he was an absolute menace on special teams. He was all over the field on there, using the athletic ability that he has. And teaming up with Oren Burks on the coverage units, I think, gave the Packers a good speed burst from that middle of, especially on the kick, kick uh, coverage units. And they're showing that the athletic ability translates well to special teams from the linebacking core, and you don't want exactly those thumpers running down the field like that, but you let those guys who are a little more naturally athletic make those types of plays. And Summers and Burks, I think, have kind of solidified those spots. It'd be great if they make a jump on defense. Uh, I'm not exactly expecting it right now, but the fact that they can make those plays on kick coverage and punt coverage, I think, can only help them in the future. Completely agree. So why don't we move on to the and kick returns. Oh boy, let's do it. This is going to be interesting. Uh, returning was a tale of before and after Irvin. For lack of a better way to describe it. It's exactly how you can describe it. You can't describe it any other way. <laughs> before Tyler Irving had claimed on waivers from Jacksonville, so thank you very much uh, Tom Coughlin, this return unit, especially on punt returns, was historically bad. They were negative for the year. They were, I think, tr- 80 yards or something behind the all-time record for worst punt return season ever. And within one game, Irvin turned that around. And he, the difference he made over guys like Tremont Smith, Darius Shepard, uh, Trevor Davis, was night and day this past season. And Irvin set himself up well to come back to Green Bay, and he really upped his own value with the spark he brought to the return units. And then later on the offense, but it all started with his first game returning kicks and solidifying that spot. And he's called Swerve and Irvin for a reason. He's got the ability to make a big one, break one at any time. And he's got the slippery ability of Micah Hyde with twice the speed. And that's a huge, huge benefit for Meninga. And it really helped him look better as a coach as the year went on having a good returner. I completely agree. And, you know, Irvin's only 26 years old right now. He's definitely got a couple good years left in him. Um, You know, I think he earned himself a roster spot in 2020. The way it stands, there's nobody else on this roster who can who can even come in and compete at the position. So, so why not? You know, bring him back. I don't think he'd be. I think he's a he's a uh, exclusive rights free agent or something like that. He's not. I don't think he's a unrestricted. I know that. So, you know, bring him back in 2020. See what he can do. See what you can get him doing in the offense for Pete's sake. 
Um, don't even label him as a running back because he's probably not a running back. He's just going to do whatever you need him to do. And, you know, in, in today's NFL, that certainly has value, which about five years ago, if that was the case, we couldn't find a guy in position. Well, get off our roster, but not anymore. Now it's all about football players and what they can do with the ball in their hands. And um, certainly he's electric with the ball in his hands. And they certainly showed the penchant to want to get him the ball in 2019. It just never really worked out the way that they wanted it to. So I'm actually quite excited to see what they plan to do with Urban, um, both on special teams and both on offense in 2020. No, definitely. He's a turn guy. He was a coverage guy. And when you look at the guys before him, uh, Cannon Sullivan, was. they gave him a run as a return a little bit. He had very underwhelming results. Darius Shepard, who looked good in the preseason, had a rough start, and then he had that disastrous game that I was at against Detroit where he muffed a punt, he had the interception off his face mask, and he has been on the practice squad ever since, and Trevon Smith just never got it going. He he showed ability, he just for some reason couldn't break a tackle and couldn't get things, things really going, and Trevor Davis is now, I think, I don't think he's on a team anymore, so it, Irvin has really kind of solidified and taken this role and ran with it, and, and outside of Trevor Davis's one healthy year, the Packers haven't had a returner like like this be this good since Micah Hyde left him for agency, and and again, it, a, a good returner, a good coverage unit, makes a coach's job that much easier. And Irvin and Manega could be two guys who you keep joined at the hip for for a while. You know, I, I think that the position of a kick returner, punt returner, is something that Green Bay could also look to address this offseason. I don't, you know, know where. You know, I like to look to San Francisco and maybe a Dante Pettis. Um, I know there's a lot of people who are a lot lower on him right now, but if you can if you can snag him for a cheap draft pick, a fourth, fifth, sixth, sixth round draft pick, then why not? You know, bring the guy in, add him to the back end of your wide receiver group, throw him on punt and kick returns. However, the problem with him is his mentality, and if he's not willing to put in the work, then probably not. But I, I, I just I feel like Gutekunst is going to address the position in some way, whether it's in the draft. He drafts somebody who can be versatile enough to play that position as a returner and also have a role in the offense, or he's going to go up in free agency and get somebody, or they might get somebody via trade because they do have some pieces that, um, some draft picks that they can move. They have, they have a little bit of extra surplus um, draft pick inventory this year, not too much, um, but... I just I do believe that Gutekunst is going to try to address the position outside of Urban because what what if you go into the season uh, and Urban all of a sudden he ain't it anymore you know you, you don't want to be dependent upon somebody who was a flash in the pan at the end of the year and so I think Gutekunst is going to go out looking for another layer of security in that area and I just don't know where it would come from but how how would you feel if the Packers went out and just kind of threw a lottery pick at, at Dante Pettis? No, oh, I would love it. I think the ultimate thing would be trade the pick you got for Trevor Davis for Pettis. I think that I think that'd be kind of a great dichotomy to do. Uh, Pettis, the talent was there. I, I wanted them to draft him when he was coming out. I, I loved his tape at Washington. I thought as a returner he showed some really slippery ability, and he was a guy who could come in and be a very good returner right away. It hasn't worked in San Francisco. Uh, it doesn't seem like Shannon has to trust in him anymore. So, yeah, I'm, I'm all in favor of making the move. And to, with all the talk of bringing in big-name guys, signing A.J. Green, trading for Beckham, it's these those little moves where you can trade for a returner like Pettis, maybe go and get one of those younger slot guys who 
Adam Humphreys would have been a good guy like that last offseason. Those smaller moves, I think, are what this team really needs to help put them over that top. And instead of making the big flashy play and putting a ton of money behind it, bring these role players and bring these guys who you know what their role is going to be, you know they're not going to be an issue, and just sort of focus on building your team in the little ways for now because you have all the big pieces you need in place. You have a quarterback, you have a number one receiver, a running back, a good offensive line. Make sure you get those those, those depth guys in there, and that's only going to make this team stronger from top to bottom, one to fifty-three. I completely agree. They need to go, and they don't they don't necessarily need to go and do as a Darius Preston thing this uh, this off season. I don't know if there's any wide receivers in free agency that I'm willing to go spend big money on. Maybe Robbie Anderson, but I feel like they're going to get outpriced at that market, and so. You look at the trade market, you know, there's Odell Beckham's been thrown around. Yeah, it's an exciting name, but how does he fit in the locker room? How does he fit with this team's personality? Um, I think that, honestly, they're going to have to build through the draft this year, and I think that they should use free agency to supplement, you know, some of the smaller holes on the team. So we're talking about backup defensive line, uh, backup edge rusher maybe, if you, depending on how you feel about Gary. Um, inside linebacker, if there's a veteran out there that you like and you're not planning to bring back Blake Martinez, uh, maybe another corner, a veteran corner to add to that room. You know, just those are the types of things that I think we need to look at this offseason is not the big, splashy plays. Uh, I think the big, splashy moves will come in the draft this year. So I completely agree. I think throwing a, a lottery pick at guys like that or cheap contracts, um, even though I don't think Humphreys was a cheap contract. I'm pretty sure he got $9 million a year. I don't know if we consider that cheap nowadays. But um, anyway, the, the point is going out and just filling out the roster uh, and fattening it up a little bit I, I think is exactly the right move for this Packers team. No, absolutely. And I think bringing in those depth guys who play special teams, guys like Pettis, uh, Danny Vitale is a good example as well. Uh, Kadar Holman drafted him. He can play special teams. Josh Jackson has embraced a role on special teams. Tony Brown kind of did and then got penalties and he's gone. But other guys like that brought a lot to these special teams units. And so let's let's bring those guys in, help them out, and then you can build the team from within that way. So that's kind of our review of the special teams unit. Again, very up and down, hit or miss. A tale of really two separate seasons as far as the return game and the punting game can go. But as we start to wrap things up, moving on from the NFL, we'll change the letter very briefly as we'll take a look at the XFL to wrap things up because there's a lot of former Packers involved and could be some special teams guys there who you could think about bringing in. Guys like Josh Hawkins could maybe come back. He was a good special teamer when he was in Green Bay. Marwood Evans, uh, Carl Bradford, guys like that. Are there any names that stick out to you, Tyler, as far as guys who the Packers could bring in following that season who could maybe play some special teams roles and maybe make an impact on that third side of the football? Um, I, You know, I don't know if there are. You know, it, it's kind of cool to go back and watch some of these names kind of come to the forefront on, on actually quite significantly on these XFL rosters. There's quite a few Packers players. Uh, go check out Matt Fralick on Twitter because he, he tweeted out a picture of it. I think he wrote an article about it for Cheesehead. Um, but, you know, there's two punters, specifically Jake, Jake Scum. I never knew how to say his name, um, but it was Jake Scum or Scum and then Justin Vogel. Uh, so those are you know, the two big special teams guys. Um, but there's a lot of other names on there that have that have donned the green and gold at one point, uh, including Antonio Morrison. Uh, he might be the most notable name on this list. But 
I'm not sure if there's anybody on the currently in the XFL that could impress me enough in the XFL to make me think, oh, you know, they've already struggled in the NFL, but maybe they could still play in the NFL. I don't really think there's anybody on this list that could do that. Fair enough. So with that being said, we'll wrap things up here on the Packaday Podcast for this Sunday. Tyler, where can people find you and what are you working on? Oh, goodness. Um, well, you can find me on Twitter, as always, um, at Tyler underscore Grez. Uh, but, you know, things are really starting to pick up now with, with draft season starting to pick up. So uh, recently got assigned defensive line again for the Cheesehead TV draft guide, so be on the lookout for that um, late March time frame. And then I'm also working for Dynasty Nerds, uh, writing a couple pieces over there, actually doing a startup right now that uh, we're going through some draft strategy um, pieces for that. And then um, just, yeah, just putting out Packers content. I'm, I'm trying to do as much as I can of other prospects outside of the defensive line um, on the Twitter page, just, just general prospect thoughts. Um, but just trying to get through all of that. So just just definitely stay tuned because there, there's a lot going out and there's a lot coming out, coming out in the near future. Absolutely. And, of course, uh, follow me on Twitter as well, at Mike Wendlands. Um, getting back into Dairyland Express a little more, I gotta re- actually resubmit a couple things to do that. But I'm gonna be doing an all-time Packers draft team up there. Again, that'll be a, th- a two-part series, day one and then day two. A goal. I'm going back to the old traditional uh, draft format to break that down. So otherwise, I can't make an all-draft team. So stay tuned for that as well, and I'll be doing my own draft stuff as well. And also stay tuned for more of the Pack a Day podcast. Again, it is literally Pack a Day every single day. Uh, tomorrow, Andy will be back with us. He'll be taking a look at the coaching staff and reviewing them. So, again, stay tuned for that. So, for Tyler Grizzly-Gork, this is Mike Williams saying so long for now. Again, everyone, please go follow the Pack-A-Day podcast wherever social media you can find us, as well as wherever the podcast is found. And we'll talk to you next time. And next Sunday, we'll be back with you guys again. And, of course, Go Pack Go! Hi, this is Nick Schmitz, one of the hosts of a Pack-A-Day podcast. Since you're a fan of the Green Bay Packers, you are probably a fan of Friday Night Fish Fries. It's a staple of Wisconsin heritage, and we want to let you know how you can support Friday Night Fish Fries. You can do this through supporting The Farmery. The Farmery is a non-profit aquaponics farm and fish hatchery, and they are excited to launch their state-of-the-art yellow perch fish hatchery in downtown Green Bay. The hatchery will produce fish that aquaculture farmers can grow out and produce for your family's Friday Night Fish Fries. In partnership with the Green Bay Packers and the Greater Green Bay Community Foundation, the Farmery has been selected to receive matching funds as part of Give Big Green Bay, a 24-hour online giving event designed to rally the community around local nonprofits. From noon on Tuesday, February 18th through noon on Wednesday, February 19th, you can make your donation to the Farmery at www.givebiggreenbay.org. The Green Bay Packers and the Greater Green Bay Community Foundation will match every donation, which will provide high-quality learning experiences such as internships, job shadowing experiences, field trips, and community tours of the new facility. Donate online at www.givebiggreenbay.org and search The Farmery.
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.